How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love. Joining us is a member of the U.S.-Korea Solidarity Committee for Peace and Democracy, also a fellow with the Korea Policy Institute. Our guest co-authored Lurching Towards War, a post-mortem on strategic patience. Hyun Lee is our guest. Ms. Lee, thank you for joining us. Good afternoon and Good happy afternoon. Thursday. Um, we uh, a lot uh, here in uh, the West and, and especially in the United States seem to constantly focus on the Middle East and don't necessarily look to countries like North Korea as a threat. Um, right now, we are seeing that the United Nations are poised to act against North Korea after the latest nuclear test. I have so many questions on this, uh, so let's talk about a few things. Um, first of all, what really happened versus what was claimed to have happened testing-wise mm-hmm. and with regard to what type of atomic or nuclear uh, weaponry uh, was yeah. Uh, tested in North Korea? Yeah. I mean, who knows if it really was a hydrogen bomb or not. It's very difficult to prove either way. Um, North Korea could be bluffing because it has learned in the past that that's the only way to get the U.S. attention and say, hello, we want to talk, please pick up the phone. Um, The U.S. and other members of the U.S. Security Council seem to have been completely caught off guard by yesterday's nuclear test. So naturally, their major reaction is to say, no, it can't really be true. Um, but, you know, whether it was an H-bomb or an A-bomb, they're both highly destructive. Um, but if it really was a thermonuclear bomb, as North Korea claims it was, uh, you know, also known as a hydrogen bomb or an H-bomb, it could be a total game-changer, which is why the U.N. Security Council is having a freak-out moment right now, uh, because it requires very highly sophisticated technology to produce a hydrogen bomb, and not many countries possess it. The five permanent members of the U.N. Security Council, uh, they are the U.S., the U.K., France, China, Russia, in other words, the five nuclear weapon states that are signatories to the non-proliferation treaty, they are the only countries in the world that have thermonuclear bombs. And they work very hard to make sure that no one else has them through the non-proliferation regime. So if North Korea a self-proclaimed socialist country that's not part of the U.S. Security Council, not a signatory to the the non-proliferation treaty, and not a U.S. ally, if it has, in fact, the capability to produce an H-bomb, that considerably upsets the balance. So that so that we are clear, because as you know, Republicans, especially those running for president, are pointing fingers, not just as Hillary Clinton, former Secretary of State, is running for president, but her husband for a one-page, some people would say, sketchy deal that was done with North Korea. Um, did North Korea have weapons before, I mean, any nuclear capability uh, before Bill Clinton was president and before Barack Obama was president and Hillary Clinton, uh, not just obviously under this leadership, but obviously the former leadership, the father of the current head of North Korea? Yeah, so the history goes back to the fall of the Soviet Union. Um, In the early 90s, North Korea looked around the world and saw that, hey, you know, the socialist trading bloc had collapsed, and the U.S. is right at our border with its 28,000 troops and is ready to attack, uh, cause the collapse of our regime. 
And so North Korea thought, hey, you know, nuclear weapons is going to be the only thing that protects us and make sure that we can maintain our regime. Um, the Clinton administration actually considered attacking North Korea back in 1994 uh, over the nuclear program. Uh, and uh, he, actually the Pentagon at the time, ran a computer simulation which projected one million deaths in the event of a war on the Korean Peninsula. So clearly war was not an option. Clinton decided to engage North Korea in a dialogue in, to negotiate the freezing of its uh, nuclear program. Um, North Korea did um, freeze its production of plutonium during the Clinton administration uh, when the U.S. suspended its military exercises and was willing to engage. And they came so close to normalizing relations. In 2000, State Secretary Madden Albright... Well, you know what, I want you to hold that thought because I don't want uh, our listeners to miss any of this uh, from you, okay. Ms. Lee. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be continuing speaking with the member of the U.S.-Korea Solidarity Committee for Peace and Democracy, also a fellow with the Korea Policy Institute, co-author of Lurching Towards War, a post-mortem on strategic patients. And we're talking about North Korea and we're talking about how the U.N. is now poised to act against them after the latest nuclear test, what can be done by the U.N. other than criticism and uh, what, if anything, the potential response by North Korea will be. We'll be back with our guest, Danny Yu, after this. You want to join us, 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Follow me on Twitter, at Leslie Marshall. I'll incorporate your tweets and find out everything going on in Leslie Marshall land by going to our website, lesliemarshallshow.com, and signing up for our free newsletter. with our guest, Hyun Lee, a member of the U.S.-Korea Solidarity Committee for Peace and Democracy and a fellow with the Korea Policy Institute. She's co-author of Lurching Towards War, a post-mortem on strategic patients. You were explaining uh, before uh, the break, and I wanted to go into further explanation because, Ms. Lee, as you may know, um, not all of us in the United States are aces uh, in remembering our international history and foreign policy courses, and especially with countries such as North Korea. Um, so that we understand the U.N. Security Council um, mm-hmm. and a resolution that really you know, has not uh, yet passed. But like you said, there are, there are seven permanent uh, members uh, of that uh, council, of which the United States is one. China is another, and I want to go to China uh, later. China, Russia, the United States um, are, are inclusive of that. There are 15 countries in all. North Korea is not part of that, so some people might say any threat or any condemnation by the U.N. or any threat by the U.N. to act against North Korea, does it fall on deaf ears? Does it make North Korea roll their eyes because they're not part of the 15-nation coalition? Well, I mean, there's been so many sanctions imposed on North Korea, and um, it seems to have not worked because North Korea has not collapsed, first of all, and it continues to develop nuclear weapons. Um, But this is where, you know, I'd like to suggest that we pause and ask ourselves, you know, why is it not okay for North Korea to have the H-bomb 
but okay for the U.S. and other prominent members of the U.S. Security Council. And, and, and this is something, and, and I've got to say, although it, it almost comes down to when the United States doesn't like somebody, Iran is another example. I mean, they are a sovereign sure. nation that technically has the right to have nuclear weapons, but, sure. you know, it's the United States wanting to care for our ally Israel, and in the case of North Korea, the United States wanting to care for our ally South uh, Korea. Um, so so l- l- let's talk about that. Um, North Korea does, in a sense, legally have the right to uh, make these weapons. And, and and therefore, to an earlier point that you said with attention getting, I have a seven and eight year old. And, you know, when they want attention, they, they yeah. do bad. My son will behave badly to get attention mm-hmm. and to draw my focus. And yeah. I, I'm sorry to limit it to, to such a, a very black and white and um, – uh, you know, small and perhaps even not the greatest uh, example, but is that what this leader in North Korea is doing? Pay attention to me. You're not paying attention to me. We need something. We need your attention. Uh, we need money uh, because economically, certainly sanctions against this country, they may not be crippled by it, but they've been severely um, knocked off their horse to a degree by some of these sanctions throughout the years since 06 and 09 especially. Yeah, I mean, I think the analogy that you drew was actually an apt one. Um, the consensus is in, in most Western media seems to be that North Korea's nuclear test is a challenge and a dangerous threat to the international community. But if we read the full text of North Korea's announcement yesterday, um, it explains very clearly the intention behind the test. It says it's a measure of self-defense, and it talks about the quote-unquote ever-growing nuclear threat by the U.S., namely that U.S. troops are prepared to deploy all means of nuclear strike, I'm quoting from the text, including its nuclear carrier strike group and nuclear strategic flying corps. It goes on to say, with economic sanctions and mobilization of hostile forces, the U.S. is trying to bring down its social system. So what's clear from the statement is that North Korea sees itself as the victim of U.S. aggression, and with good reason, because people in the U.S. need to be reminded the U.S. still has 28,000 troops in South Korea to engage in massive war exercises multiple times a year. They simulate the collapse of the North Korean regime. And the latest version of U.S. war plan on the Korean Peninsula, which is called Operation Plan 5015, it allows for the preemptive strike and the use of nuclear weapons as well as reportedly the decapitation of the North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. And the lesson that North Korea draws from looking at Iraq and the experience of Libya was that a nation that does not have nuclear weapons is defenseless against the United States. The text also goes on to say, it concludes by saying, there can neither be suspended nuclear development nor nuclear dismantlement on the part of the DPRK unless the U.S. has rolled back its hostile policy. So really what it's saying is, look, we will continue to develop nuclear weapons as self-defense until the U.S. is willing to stop its military exercises, abandon its war plans and regime collapse scenarios, and then come to the table to talk about a fundamental resolution to this ongoing conflict. Let's um, also talk about, though, uh, the uh, reality of the worldview of North Korea being part of the axis of evil, in a sense, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, separate from, you know, whether or not they are legally, you know, via international law or just, uh, you know, you know whether on just a, a, a non-legal idea of fairness allowed to produce uh, and to use uh, nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. With the U.N. poised to act against uh, North Korea, 
Um, I have somebody who tweeted, Mickey, who says, past experience tells me it will be much ado about nothing. Nobody is scared of the U.N. And I think, unfortunately, that's pretty much an accurate statement. And perhaps going even in fur- further and more so where North Korea is concerned, especially with the type of government and leadership there is there. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, I believe that North Korea should stop producing and testing destructive weapons. But so should everyone else. And it shouldn't matter if you're on the Security Council of the U.N. or if you're a U.S. ally. Um, you know, I was explaining earlier the history behind this is that, you know, in 2000, under Clinton administration's leadership, State Secretary Madden Albright went to Pyongyang and negotiated a deal where North Korea agreed to stop its nuclear program in exchange for security assurance from the United States and normalized relations. That was all scrapped when George W. Bush took office. He threatened North Korea by calling it part of the axis of evil and including it in the list of potential U.S. targets for preemptive nuclear strikes. In 2008, North Korea blew up its nuclear cooling power when Bush eventually agreed to move towards normalization and took North Korea off the state-sponsored terrorism list. So if we look back at the history of this, it shows that engagement has worked in the past. But the current administration has a policy called strategic patience, which is basically simply waiting and preparing for the collapse of the regime. This is clearly a strategic blunder, in my opinion, and it's precisely what it's gotten. Or, or, or is it, I hear you, and I, I, I'm not disagreeing with you 100%, or, though, could we entertain the idea that the strategic patience uh, policy that was implemented in 2009 by President Obama is more like, let's see how you behave uh, in comparison with your dad, for example, to the leader of North Korea, and when such actions, because this is the fourth such fourth such type of test in recent years, um, do, does the um, behavior, in a sense, of this leader in that nation with four tests show that the United States needs to be more patient or that they're basically sticking the middle finger up and the United States goes, okay, my patience is up, we're done, we're not patient anymore. Right. I mean, for the past 20 years, U.S. policy towards North Korea has been to wait for and prepare for the eventual collapse of the North Korean regime. And in the 1990s, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, North Korea did go through a period it called the arduous march, which was a period marked by mass food shortages, people crossing the borders of China to look for jobs and look for food. But, you know, despite decades of U.N. and U.S.-imposed sanctions and military threats from the U.S., North Korea hasn't collapsed. And by all accounts from people who have traveled there recently, its economy actually has recovered substantially. So the U.S. needs to come to terms with the fact that its policy for the past 20 years, uh, which is to impose sanctions, military buildup, wait for the regime to collapse, this has not been working. And President Obama himself said in his second inaugural address, enduring security and lasting peace do not require perpetual war. So if the U.S. wants North Korea to halt its nuclear program, then it needs to return to dialogue and finally bring closure to the state of war that's been ongoing for the past 60 years. Uh, there are people tweeting some things that really tie into questions. Pied Piper mm. tweets, laugh, laugh out loud, what a joke that is, like any rogue nation care, you know, cares what the U.N. says and nervous. Now, mm. we address that. He's, and then uh, he or she says, uh, the 
North Korea is no risk to us at all. Is North Korea only a risk to South Korea or is North Korea a risk to the U.S.? And I asked that because yesterday somebody had asked an expert on weaponry, missiles, uh, nuclear weapons, and, you know, this type of weaponry that they allege to test and have tested uh, in mm-hmm. the past, um, that they could, in fact, uh, reach the United States and therefore an attack on the United States uh, would be uh, possible. Some people say it's not possible due to, you know, just distance. Uh, is mm-hmm. North Korea a risk to the United States? I mean, North Korea claimed in the past that it has ballistic missiles capable of reaching the U.S. continent. No one knows if that's in fact true. However, it is true, it is a known fact that they have missiles that can reach U.S. bases in the region, uh, in South Korea certainly, but also in Japan and in Guam. Um, Even if no party in this intends to start a war, an overreaction to a local provocation could end up escalating into a full-scale war, and that's what U.S. generals in the past have uh, worried publicly about. Um, And the United States is committed by treaty with South Korea to come to the defense of South Korea in the event of a war on the Korean Peninsula. And it's one of the most militarized places in the world. Um, The U.S. has never taken first use of nuclear weapons off the table. Um, Four million people died in the Korean War, and 70% of them were civilians. Um, today there are, again, 28,000 U.S. soldiers in Korea, as well as hundreds of thousands of foreigners there, um, including U.S. citizens. Um, you know, how many U.S. soldiers and civilians uh, do you think would be killed in the first days if, if a war breaks out on the Korean Peninsula? Um, you know, if, even if that's something that nobody wants, uh, it is a very highly militarized place, uh, and um, a local population, like I said, could escalate into a war. What do you think with regard to Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, and Rand Paul, who all three agree uh, with uh, Hillary's first statement that China needs to get more involved, regardless uh, regardless of whether North Korea continues to to go forward with this? How do you feel about China's involvement? And is this, uh, you know, an Asia-Pacific issue or problem, so to speak, like many people feel ISIS is a Middle East issue and problem, so to speak? I mean, China has always seen North Korea as a junior partner or like a younger brother. Um, China also considers the U.S. a bully in the region. So it sympathizes with North Korea for standing up to the U.S., but only up to a certain point. Um, It certainly does not want North Korea to put up a thermonuclear bomb. Um, And that seems to be the motivating factor for China joining the chorus of countries condemning North Korea's claims. On the other hand, China has economic interests tied up in North Korea, which is very rich in mineral resources, and China wants mining rights there as well as access to seaports on the eastern shore of North Korea and so forth. Um, The U.S. has always wanted China to play a more active role in putting pressure on North Korea. But we have to understand that while China is annoyed by North Korea's nuclear program, it's also not naive about U.S. interests in the region. It is keenly aware that the U.S. is surrounding China with a missile defense chain and setting up state-of-the-art satellites to gather intelligence. The Trans-Pacific Partnership is about creating an economic block in the region under U.S. leadership to under- undercut China's influence. So, I don't, I don't, in my opinion, I don't think that China will be doing U.S. bidding on this issue anytime soon. If, we, if, if you had to predict, is... North Korea going to become a bigger headache to us than ISIS, as an example, just one example, or no, because North Korea is really certainly more self-contained? If we don't 
resolve the fundamental uh, root of this crisis, I believe that it can become a, a, a bigger headache. Um, I mean, yesterday's nuclear test is part of an ongoing pattern. We've seen this over and over again, which is North Korea offers to negotiate for a peace treaty with the U.S. The U.S. ignores it, and it insists that North Korea should first agree to abandon its nuclear weapons if it wants to negotiate. North Korea says we can't abandon our nuclear weapons without a peace treaty that gives us an assurance that we will not be attacked. So then it conducts a nuclear test and says, don't ignore us, and then the U.S. imposes more sanctions. So North Korea goes on to develop and test more bombs, more missiles. You know, what we need to understand is that North Korea has been pretty consistent in its message to the U.S. That is a fundamental resolution to the ongoing state of war. We also need to be clear, not many Americans understand this, that the signatories to the 1953 armistice after the Korean War were North Korea and the United States, not South Korea. So it's the U.S. and North Korea that have been in a state of war for the past 60 years. This is why the U.S. still maintains troops in South Korea. This is why it conducts massive war games multiple times a year. A fundamental resolution would be to formally end the Korean War, turn the armistice into a permanent peace treaty, and then move on to normalized relations. These have been the bedrock of North Korea's requests all along throughout the six-party talks during the Bush administration, throughout the Geneva Agreed Framework negotiations during the Clinton administration. And really, if that fundamental question is not resolved, I do believe that this can escalate into a bigger problem because North Korea will continue to test bombs, they'll continue to launch satellites, uh, continue to test missiles. We're going to take a quick break, and uh, we will uh, be back. And, and, and we're going to take a break, and we'll be back in a few minutes. Um, our guest is going to be leaving us, but certainly we are very appreciative. Thank you, uh, Ms. Lee, for joining us. And we will definitely have her come back as the situation develops, regardless of what and how this develops with North Korea, uh, into uh, the future. So uh, stay tuned. Yan Lee is a member of the U.S. Korea Solidarity Committee for Peace and Democracy and a fellow with the Korea Policy Institute, co-author of Lurching Towards War, a post-mortem on strategic patients. This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that under-deliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time, you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery. 